morning, everybody, wherever you happen to be. Pastor Paul here. The mug of the day is the almighty Yeti mug. It's amazing what this thing will do to keep something warm or cold. It's like a walking cooler uh, right in your hand. Anyway, I'm going to read today's passage. We are up to chapter 2 in our walk through the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the church in Ephesus this morning. So let me read this short admonition from Jesus through John to the church in Ephesus. Then I'm going to pray for us. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did first. at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord, help us this morning to walk anew and afresh before your face. Lord, help us to hear this admonition to not lose our first love and deep closeness and communion with you. And so, Lord, we particularly pray that during this season, ask that you would bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, recall we said that what John does in Revelation 1 is he gives us this a pictorial um, explosion of images to represent Christ, and he talks. Remember how about Christ's hair is is um, is is blazing white, and his eyes are like fire, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, and all these sorts of um, startling imagery. And remember, it's apocalyptic literature; it's symbols, which means they are symbols that are meant to to draw comparisons, metaphors for us. Um, and, and what John is going to do here, he's going to go back to this vision of Jesus, and he's going to take one little segment of what he highlighted about the attributes of Jesus, and he's going to apply one of those attributes to each of these churches, depending upon what their particular need is. And so um, you, you could think about this just on a, on a basic human level. If you are um, really physically sick, all right, you're going to need uh, a particular kind of help. You're going to need a particular kind of intervention, medical intervention. And so the imagery of a doctor or um, someone, a nurse or a medical professional, that's going to hold out a lot of encouragement for you, right? And by the same token, if you're someone who's struggling mentally um, or emotionally, then, then the idea of a, of a counselor, that imagery would be really comforting to you. And so this is what, what Jesus is doing here with the church in Ephesus. And it tells us, look back at verse 1, 
that Jesus is walking around, that he is present um, among, among them. He is, he's with them, he's walking with them, he's in their midst. And we have to ask, why was this aspect of Jesus's sort of his, his, his eminence, his, his presence, why would this have been particularly encouraging for the church in Ephesus? And it helps to know a little bit about this church I think the reason it was to be encouraging for them was that the church was weary. Remember, the, the, the church in Ephesus is one of the pillars of the New Testament churches. It was planted by Paul on his first missionary journey, a third missionary journey in Acts 19. Remember that Paul spent three years there preaching and teaching, and it was by great conflict that the church and the gospel came to have a foothold in Ephesus. Remember, it, it was an incredibly polytheistic culture, pluralism. Um, there were many gods. In fact, the, the principal god was Artemis or Diana, um, the, the bee goddess. And uh, there was a whole cult of and trade guild built around the worship of this goddess. And remember, her temple was one of the seven ancients, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world and it was kind of in this backdrop that the gospel and the church was planted and we know immediately from acts 20 that paul began to warn the ephesian elders that false teachers were coming in fact they were amongst them they were going to be propagating false theologies um, we know that when paul was later in prison timothy um, took over leadership of that church in ephesus and what is Paul writing to Timothy in the pastoral epistles? Stand for the truth, preach the gospel, root out heresy, um, you know, patrol the theological perimeter of the church. So this was a church that was particularly well-versed in taking a stand for the truth. This was a church that was particularly attuned to knowing truth and error, um, false doctrine, right doctrine, orthodoxy, versus um, heterodoxy. And um, by this point, we think the church is probably about 30 years old and they are still standing firm in the truth. And in a lot of ways, I think about Four Oaks as a church like this, that we're going on 30 years or so. And we would, I think, like to say as a church family that we are standing firm in the truth of God, that we build our um, life and ministry and relationships around the Word of God that we are that we are for truth um, I think about what Jesus says here that they hate the works of the Nicolaitans and this was a some sort of false teaching that has sprung up um, in that area we don't know exactly uh, the nature of what this of what this teaching was but clearly the church in Ephesus had distinguished itself okay um, by its stand for the truth. You, you see this, look at the words that Jesus uses in verses two and three to describe this church. I know your works, listen to this, your toil, your patient endurance. I know how you have um, tested, okay, the different theologies, how you've discerned. And he talks about how they have been bearing up, they have been enduring patiently, they have been persevering. And again, these are all things that are absolutely crucial for the life of a church, for a community of people who are standing for truth and the gospel. And, and nowhere here does Jesus rebuke them for this. In fact, he, 
He's commending them for it. And that's important to know because in, in, a, in our culture, um, oftentimes it's, it's hard for us to have a both and perspective. It's always either or. Either a church is standing for the truth, okay, rigid and doctrinaire, um, or they're loving people, okay, but they're a little squishy, squishy theologically. And the Bible doesn't deal in those kinds of dichotomies. The church is called to be both standing for the gospel and loving and winsome and persuasive. And um, these things are not antithetical to each other. And in fact, as we will see, um, oftentimes in the quest to love people and be a light to the culture, um, there's, a, there's a, a temptation to diminish theology and the things that divide. And ultimately you end up losing people in the process. Well, the church in Ephesus had the opposite problem. They, they had no, there was no temptation to fall off theologically what had happened for them though, and this, we see this in verse four, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And, and, and we all know um, he, he's drawing a, a relational analogy, a marital analogy. Um, and the, the common dynamic that is often seen where the intense um, emotions and feelings of a first love, when you begin dating someone, when you are first married, tend to, if, if there's not careful work and cultivation and priority of that relationship over time, it can become um, sort of standard fare, status quo. There can be a drifting away of that sort of um, intense uh, emotional love in a relationship or marriage. And this is what um, Jesus is warning them about. And it's not just that they have grown cold to one another, although that, that may be true. But this is really rooted in the fact that they had grown cold to him. In other words, and, and Scotty Smith says this in his book, The Unveiled Hope, that we're using. He says, the church in Ephesus was the Martha, right? They were doing, doing, doing for Jesus, but they had forgotten their role as Mary, to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen to him, to walk with him, to be fed by him, to have communion with him. So, so that was all on the church in Ephesus working versus being. There was a lot of contending for the gospel, but there was much less communing with the author of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And and this is such a great, I think, word for us, right? That, that so often, okay, um, what we would call dead orthodoxy, okay, or sterile um, community environments, or or, or, or places where there is a, a tendency to worship truth, worship the Bible, worship theology, versus seeing the Bible theology as the fulfillment and culmination in the worship of the living God um, and communion with Jesus. Now, we don't know Jesus, can't know who he is apart from his word. And so we, we want to draw a fine line here. We don't worship the Bible, but at the same time, we worship Jesus, and the way we know who Jesus is is through the Bible. But we don't need to separate these things, right? We, it's not like we're either just hardcore standing for the truth, well, um, while at the same time have casting a blind eye okay, to the needs around us or our hearts towards people, or we have bleeding hearts towards people, but 
it comes at the cost of theology. And as Jesus doesn't even give this church that option, he's saying simply, keep on doing what you're doing, but return to me. Okay, return to me, nurture your relationship with me. And I love what he says here. Look at the end of verse 7. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, why is John going all the way back to the imagery in Genesis 1, 2, 3, uh, 1 through 3 of the tree of life in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve? Why is he drawing from that? Why is he admonishing them to return to that tree of life? Well, let's remember in the center of the garden was the tree of life. And it was the symbol of all that was good and right. It was a symbol of the perfect communion that Adam and Eve had with God. And he said, this whole garden is yours. This tree is yours. Um, it's for you to partake. It's for you to worship me, be priest to me, commune with me. Just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And, and he's saying as long as Adam and Eve came to um, this tree of life, and fed from it, and they would be nourished, their souls would be satisfied. But obviously we know the, the tragic tale where Satan tempted them, they drifted from the tree of life to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so here, Jesus is taking them back to the garden and he says, do what you were created to do. Come commune with me, walk with me, be before me, um, drink from the tree of life. In other words, drink from my sweet fellowship with you and communion with you and then be embodied to contend and fight for the truth which we are called to do so um, this is a great admonition um, for us is it not for oaks to say yes we want to be students of the word and students of theology and stand for truth while at the same time um, permeating the fragrant aroma of christ of of not having a contentious spirit, contending, but not having a contentious spirit, but being nurtured, drinking from the tree of life, our communion with Christ, and letting that be an overflow of everything that we do. And let me just say, the world, the church, is, I think, in desperate need of this word, okay? We don't need either or churches. We don't need either or Christians. We need both and, and that is where there is truly life. So I invite us today to come and drink and eat at the tree of life in the Garden of Eden with our Savior Jesus. And that's the story, the admonition of the church in Ephesus. Tomorrow, we're going to be looking at the church in Smyrna. Same time, same station. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a great word you've given us through your word. Lord, help us to be both and Christians, standing for the truth, um, firm in the gospel, rooted in you and your word, but loving, serving, caring for others because we are drawing close to you. Lord, we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. 